The Enneagram is an ancient system that identifies nine personality types as a gateway to self-awareness and understanding others. It is a tool to understand and explain human behavior, looking at the motivations underlying those behaviors, the why of what we do. What I love about the Enneagram is that it can help bring our unconscious habits, patterns, and motivations into our consciousness or our awareness to become healthier. Not only does it have us help us have this self-awareness as an individual, but ultimately it helps us begin to have this awareness of others and their motivations, which allows us to be more compassionate towards them. Welcome to the Behaviorist Podcast with Work Wisdom, where we help you adopt high-performance mindsets, behaviors, communication, and culture. I'm your host, Kimberly Pfeiffer. Our intention for the Behaviorist Podcast is to share accessible, concrete practices that you can weave into your whole life to begin a shift toward joy and meaningful achievement. Today, we're turning our focus to the Enneagram and more specifically type twos, the helpers. We're grateful to have with us today type two, Lissa Holland. Thanks for being here today, Lissa. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to our time together. But before I ask you some questions around the Enneagram and type twos, let me first give our listeners a quick overview. So the type two on the Enneagram are called the helpers. These are the caring interpersonal types. They're generous, demonstrative, people-pleasing, and at their lower levels, they can get possessive. They tend to be sensitive, caring, and warm-hearted, but they so intensely enjoy helping others that they often end up trying to do for others what others could better do for themselves. I find it helpful to look at some well-known type twos to get an idea of um, who they might, what they might look like as a whole. So those people are Desmond Tutu, Eleanor Roosevelt, Richard Simmons, Stevie Wonder, Kenny G., Elizabeth Taylor, and Ann Landers. All right, Lissa, you're in good company there. Yeah. <laughs> so why don't you, Lissa, open us up by just really kind of telling us what it's been like for you to um, discover that you're a two, and maybe even how this type two-ness has affected your life. Um, it has let me begin to be more aware of how I'm dealing with people. And the fact that when people say to me, what are you thinking or what are you feeling more so, I don't know. And I realized that I would always say, I'm feeling whatever, and then realize I'm not sure if that's how I really feel. Because what was probably the biggest um, piece of information to take away was the fact that I take on everyone else's feelings. And listening to other podcasts about number twos, they say the same thing. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, like I will, there would be big discussions on where to go to dinner when my husband and I lived in New York City. And I would want to please him, but I really wanted him to ask me where I wanted to go. And, and we'd have major meltdowns over that. And now I'm like, oh, my God, you know, that's because I was taking on his feelings. He didn't care, and I didn't know what I cared because he didn't care. So uh. that's really been really 
eye-opening for me. Yeah, yeah. I remember that moment when you and I were sitting and having a debrief about the type two, and you were like, wait, what? So twos don't really feel their own feelings naturally. They really feel others, like a sponge almost. Um, Okay, so since knowing that, that sort of revelation, how has that maybe changed just sort of how you show up in the world? Um, Trying to figure out what I'm really feeling and not worrying about what others feel or at least stating I'm worried about what you're feeling is this something you want is this something you don't want Mm, so getting some clarity Mm -hmm. yeah 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 that I mean that was just so revolutionary thinking for me because all my life I've done it. And I figured it was because I was a middle child. I had an older sister who had Down syndrome. I had a seven-year-old or seven-year gap between my younger sister and me. So I just figured I was the caregiver. And that's because that was the role I played in the family. I never really thought about that that's really who I was. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I I find that so fascinating, the Enneagram. It's really, you know, it's a bit of nature and nurture, but but honestly, it's more nature than it is nurture. So the fact that you were born a type two, basically, or as a very small child Uh became that, and then till the day you die, you will always be a type two. Right. And you gave a great example. I always tell people, too, to think of siblings because that's regardless of the environment you were raised in, whether it was really healthy or really unhealthy. You would have learned to walk through the world with your type 2 kind of tendencies. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Another thing that I've really thought about was the disservice I did for my child. I have Mm. one son, and my husband is not a number 2. And um, we, as a as a parent of an only child, we both, all our energies were towards him. And we always kidded that if we had more kids, he could fall off the roof and we'd say, oh, oh well, you know, get up and move on. So we blamed that. But also, I'm now seeing it was because I was a number two. I took on everything for him. Mm. And now... I realized what a disservice that was. And my husband would stop and say, no, you can't do that. Or he has to come to that decision. And I just thought he was being a bad parent because it was so natural. I thought, well, you know, it's my own love. I'm doing this for my child. I'm helping. And he was correct. I mean, it. when, it, when my son got older in his late teens and going off to college, when he finally decided it was time to separate, it was really painful. Mm. And if I and I look back at it now and think if I had known that, then it wasn't. But I took it also personally because I'm there and I'm protecting you and you don't need me anymore. And how can you do that? So um, it has allowed me to change my relationship. I mean, it has in time anyway, but. I now can also say to him when I'm kind of meddling in his life, and I'll say, I know I'm not supposed to, and I have to ask you, but you don't have to answer this. But, you know, just know this is just my nature. (laughs) And it's kind of a family joke right now. But it's I can ask the question, and he doesn't feel defensive to have to respond because I don't want a response. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. So I'm even interested on a personal level. So I'm a type four, but I go when I'm stressed to a type two. And I can very easily tap into some of those behaviors <laughs> you just described. Um, for me, I can see it showing up in the, like, the people pleasing. Like I can get anyone to like me so that I feel, you know, validation, attention and approval. The, mm-hmm. the main needs of a type two, three or four. But I really can also see it in that codependency piece. Like when I feel stressed, doing more for others, doing for others what they probably could do for themselves. Mm -hmm. And so I'm personally curious, um, what has helped you not just become aware of that, but actual, are there any practical ways of being or mindsets that have helped you get through that a little bit? No, I'm still working on it. It's going to be a lifelong journey. Yeah. I mean, at work, I can now intellectually understand better it doesn't matter what others think but emotionally I still want the approval mm-hmm. and it's I mean at least I'm kind of at a level where I can kind of separate it but um no I, I this will be a journey mm-hmm. yeah because yeah. I'm so used to it I mean I know you, you I wanted to please all my life but what else it's really helped me with is I want to please, 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 and then I can blow. And my husband says it comes out of nowhere, and I think it's very evident. But I also, in studying the number twos, realize you keep tapping everything down that bothers you, mm. and then one little thing, and I don't even know what it's going to be. And all of a sudden, the kitchen sink is involved in the argument, too. <laughs> and he'd say, you know, you're, you're crazy. And I'd say, well, it makes sense. You know, why we went from here to here and, and now all these things. So that has changed tremendously mm-hmm. because I can understand if I'm getting upset, you know, stay in the moment or go away. Don't have to. You don't need to process it right this very second. Mm. So have you given yourself some space Space. there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, between maybe how you typically want to react to maybe I'll take some space Mm -hmm. and respond in a bit of a different way. Yes, that it's not about, I mean, you know, if I'm going to be upset, say what I'm upset about at the time I'm upset. Don't say everything's fine Mm -hmm. and, and tap it down and then let it explode like a volcano at some point. Yeah, yeah. As I hear you talking, I'm reminded of um, sometimes the place that two goes in stress is that type eight, that leader challenger, Mm -hmm. where, I mean, it can show up a ton of different ways, but I've heard you talk a couple just now about like, um, I I give, give, give so much, so much, so much, and I'm stuffing down, you know, the fact that I just keep giving and I'm not appreciated. And now I'm like, you know, here's my anger. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Or I just haven't put up clear boundaries, and now I'm mm-hmm. overexhausted, I'm overextended, and it blows up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm wondering if there's any, well, anything more you want to talk about going to the eight, but maybe if there's any particular behaviors that healthy eights do that you've tapped into that have maybe been helping with that a little bit. Um, probably. Not as much because I've I've been so focused on what the two is, mm, yeah, and and getting away from that. That's an, an, an journey I still need to take. Yeah, 
can. Yeah. Well, and let me even, sometimes it's hard to even remember, you know, that yeah. the, the Enneagram can be so kind of <laughs> dynamic yes. with its movements. Um, but let me tell you a couple of okay. the things that Healthy Eights do because I've witnessed you doing some of okay. them. Okay. So. <laughs> so I have been doing Yay. it. Huh? Yay. <laughs> yeah. We're often, I think, doing our Enneagram work and we don't even know it yeah. or call it that. Um, so one of the things that eights do really well is put up clear boundaries. Just naturally they do that, and that's not going to come naturally to oh. a type two. Oh, no. <laughs> so share with me a little bit about what the journey of boundaries has been like for you. Um, it, it really is a journey. I mean, it is really hard. And what I've noticed, um, the little step I can take, like at work too, is if I'm bombarded with people's needs and wants and blah, 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 I don't have to make a decision on the spot. Oh. walk away, make it later, tap into what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Because making decisions on the spot is I'm making decisions based on everybody else and not based on me. Huh, so almost giving yourself some space to like let go of everyone mm-hmm. else's stuff. Mm-hmm. Then you can truly know what decision you want to make. Right, right. And saying, you know, I hear what you're saying, but trying not to take that with me just make it a piece of information mm-hmm. yeah yeah boy that could be really helpful mm-hmm. yeah yeah and boundaries with my son too on you know what's going on in his personal life you know he'll tell me when he's ready to tell me and mm-hmm. not a minute sooner and it at this point we can keep it a joke as you know mom has to ask you but you don't have to tell me mm-hmm. and that keeps communication open and doesn't shut him down from it. Mm-hmm. But I was listening to another podcast, and a woman was talking about getting in. An, she, she was number two, and she has four children, all very different numbers. And the one child gets in an elevator with her, and she just has to talk to people. And I love to, I am more comfortable talking to strangers than I am to somebody I know. And my husband and my son both have said, Oh, you forgot to tell them what color your bathroom is, but I think you got everything else in your life. And she said that she does this in the elevator, and her son just, like, turns white. And I realized, yeah, I need to be accepting of my family, too. It makes them uncomfortable. I'm like, so what? You just aren't friendly, and this is what I need, and blah, 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 blah. So mm-hmm. that has, it just has made me much more aware that I am not a universal, I, my feelings are not universal mm-hmm. and my needs are not universal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'd imagine your family appreciates that. Too. I would think so. <laughs> that new awareness yes. for you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess in ways my husband has said that, um, he has noticed some changes. So that's yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. So I just heard you, you know, a moment ago mention the word need and your needs. Uh-uh. And so this ties kind of back into your feelings about feeling your feelings are actually other people's feelings. Um, tell me a little bit about the journey of realizing, well, I actually have needs. And and to even be asked the question of what do you need or what do you want almost puts you in stress as a type two. So tell me about that. Well, actually, when you said that you were going to ask me that, I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. We don't need – I don't know what my needs are. I have no idea. Um, uh-huh. But 
I think you and I had talked about this uh, several years ago. I had breast cancer, and I was going to University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. So I was taking the train from Lancaster to Philadelphia on a daily basis for radiology. And people at um, my work offered to drive me so I wouldn't have to find a parking spot at the train station in the middle because I went in the afternoon. And that was really hard to say yes at first. I'm, no, I can, I can drive. I'll, I'll park. I'll drive. I'll walk. I'll live. <laughs> and it was so nice that people actually wanted to help. I, I always feel if they offer to help, I feel they feel obligated, not because mm. they really want to do it. I really want to do it for somebody, but others don't really want to do it. Is was my viewpoint. Yeah, yep, and that's right. The twos, you know, you have, of all nine numbers, you have the hardest time receiving. And yes. that's actually a practice for you, is practicing how do I receive well? And it's not, it probably doesn't come natural. No, not yeah. at all. Yeah. Also, I wanted to touch on a piece you just shared um, about this idea of twos. They really have this need to be needed. You know, like, I'm going to help, I'm going to fix, I'm going to rescue, whatever it might be, uh-huh. as a way to feel needed. Right. So that you get your sort of love and worth met. But you you touched on the piece even deeper than the need to be needed is the need to be desired. Right. And wanted. And that how often your sometimes even frantic helping of others actually gets in the way of truly feeling desired and truly feeling wanted. Right. I don't ever really think I'm desired or wanted. Mm. I mean, if I look closely, if I stay surfacy, yes. And I tend to probably be around people who can boss me around, and I will do that, and then get resentful later. But I've noticed my closest college friends, some, several of them, are very demanding. And I would be the good friend. I can sit there and listen, and I can cluck, cluck, cluck. And over the years, it's gotten harder and harder, and I care less and less. And I just thought I was a bad friend. But I think there's a realization now that it just doesn't fulfill my need of a friendship. Mm -hmm. And that... I don't want to be the sidekick. So in some respects, I guess I have rescued myself mm-hmm. on those things. I and, love that. And, yeah. Yeah. As and you... I don't think I ever would have put it in those words without thinking of it as a number two anagram. Yeah, yeah. So helping, being able to help yourself mm-hmm. first and rescue yourself mm-hmm. and all those things. Because I was the person who could... Um, understand fashion, and I would help with ideas, and I would be the sounding board. But they never, I wasn't ever asked, what what do you really? And one time confronted one of my friends with that, and she had no idea what I was talking about. Well, you know, of course I'm interested in what you're saying. Well, you know, we've just spent an entire weekend together, and you haven't asked one thing about me. So, Mm. you know, we're on very different levels. And knowing with the anagram, I always took it as selfish or not caring. Or, but it's just that we're two mm-hmm. peas that don't belong in the same pod. Huh? Yeah. Well, and also just the gift of, as you've 
probably begun to learn about the Enneagram more where you can say this is actually freeing and permission giving Mm -hmm. that I can absolutely take care of myself. I am allowed to focus on myself for a little bit versus your dominant feeling, feeling shame, remember Mm -hmm. in the the feeling heart center. Right. I'd imagine that's something you tap into a lot. You can't, you know, you can't not like somebody. You are supposed to, you know, you are the friend. You, that's your role. And I I have realized lately that I am tapping into that more, that I don't have to go that route if I don't want to. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I can choose to still be friends, but know that I'm going to come away from spending time having given and don't expect to have you know, gotten refueled myself. Mm-hmm. So My almost choice. you can you can know that yeah, mm-hmm. it's your choice going into it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How does um, another behavior of tapping into that high level eight? Their their no is no. You know, it's a clear no. Yeah. How might that play into the scenarios you're sharing? Oh, I don't have a clear no. <laughs> My no is maybe well, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's very new too to say this is what I want. Mm-hmm. And, and no, this is what I don't, don't want. want. Right, right. Yeah. And how, if you ever are clear on the no, what's that leave you feeling like inside? Oh, very, dis- it's just, it's very hard. It's distressful. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's very, my yin and yang are not together on that one. I Very unbalanced. Mm-hmm. And again, intellectually, I've begun realizing how empowering a no is. Or what do you really want, not what is the best for whatever the situation is. But emotionally, it's still my emotion and my intellect aren't on the same page. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, good thing for you. Awareness is the first step. (laughs) And so much healing can happen just simply in being aware. And then it just takes that time and space to move it from just your head, you know, into your lived experience. And I I have to say it over and over. Okay, it's okay. If this doesn't happen, that's okay. And I almost am convincing. But then I'm like, oh, no, it's not okay. But I think down deep, it probably would be okay. I mean, it hasn't been quite tested, but what happens? Um, So we'll see. Yeah, yeah, we'll keep journeying on. Yeah. Um, All right, Lissa, let me ask you, what is your favorite thing about being a type 2? Well, I just think it's so natural to want to give and help. Um, and, And some of that aspect is really, it's who I am. I mean... In various tests I've taken and all, empathy comes up as number one. Yep. <laughs> um, and I like that. I like people leaning on me. I like hearing stories. I love talking to strangers. In fact, my husband and I were talking recently that I don't feel I have very close girlfriends in Lancaster. We've moved around. And so, you know, as your children get older, it's harder to, I think, meet other people people and you have to meet them in other ways and I had had close friends in New York pre-children and then I lived in Dallas, Texas and I had close friends because of children and now I'm here and I do have friends but 
There are times, though, that I have been places and have connected with somebody, like on a plane or in a store or on the beach, and you feel, oh, my gosh, they're my soulmate. And I can tell them everything about me, and they tell me, and then we walk away, and that's the end of that. Hmm. And I love that connection. I'm just sorry it doesn't continue. But I'm, I really love making tight connections. And maybe I like the fact that I don't have any consequences afterwards. I don't know. Walking oh, away. Oh, yeah. You don't have to, like, mm-hmm. maintain that mm-hmm. connection or that right. friendship. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, th- I was on a plane um, to San Francisco from New York and was sitting on the tarmac for several hours. And the woman beside me was like a long-lost sister. I mean, we had never laid eyes on each other. We told each other our entire life story and then at the end of the flight we got our luggage and that was the end mm-hmm. we didn't even I mean we got off the plane we didn't even say goodbye to each other on the you know it was like that was it yeah it's like wow <laughs> yeah. yep that's your you know charismatic mm-hmm. warm personality mm-hmm. coming out that's mm-hmm. such a, a strength of a two yeah yeah okay so I want to go one more you know kind of hard place remember with the Enneagram we're looking at our shadow sides and so I'm sure sometimes (laughs) listeners listening to the podcast are like gosh this can be so heavy Um, but we're looking at those places of uh, things that are in our unconsciousness so that we can bring them into our consciousness and choose a different response versus just our habitual ways of reacting Um, and so as you were talking it reminded me of a two We'll, we'll sometimes say with twos that they're at times not all the time can be this give to get that they have to check in with themselves whenever they're giving number one did this person ask for my help and number two am I giving help to get anything in return and I find again for myself when I go to that low level of two as a four I'm often giving not so much for like material things but I'm giving because I'm looking for validation I'm giving, Absolutely. yeah, for like emotional yes, reasons. Yes, so I want to yes. hear you talk about that. No, I'm sure I do that a lot. I mean, that all gets tied in why I give. If I don't think anybody really wants me, then I better do something that will show value and maybe they'll like give it back to me. Yeah. So it's this, you know, I'll give you if you give me and I really hope you'll give me, but there's no verbal agreement to that or anything. <laughs> it's all silent. And again, going back to my husband, I mean, that gets us in trouble because, as he says, I can't mind read you. So I took it on the surface. You wanted, you offered to do ABC. I didn't know that meant I had to do EFG. <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, why, why wouldn't you? So I've been much more aware of that and that helps me at work too what do they want what do I want to fix and be aware that I'm fixing it Mm -hmm. and talk about fixing it otherwise you know the question is what do you want from me you're telling me this do you want me to do something or are you just telling me so getting clarity mm-hmm. there from your coworkers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I could see a really low-level, unhealthy to just jumping in and doing it all. Right. And not even... And I had yeah. to really learn that um, in, in not micromanaging people because my job would be, you know, I'm 
I, I was managing a branch of a library, and I was responsible for it all. And I had to let go. And if somebody said, I'll do that, let them do it. And it may not be the way I did it. And I have learned really well to do that work. I haven't really learned it well at home necessarily. But yeah, I've learned at one place. But I learned that on my own without even the knowledge that that was amazing that I could do that on my own. Yeah, that that would be work for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and mm-hmm. also lifelong work. Yeah. <laughs> That'll keep kind of coming mm-hmm. back around for you. And, and and I would have to say, it's okay, Liz. I mean, I would talk to myself. And that's one thing I learned about number twos, that they verbalize processing. Yep, you're a verbal processor. And if something happens, bad, good, doesn't matter, it doesn't become a reality until I've told somebody else. And there are times when I'm like, you know, this is really weird. But it was nice to get some validation that that's how I process. And sometimes mm-hmm. I just talk to myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I just thought, you know, this isn't normal that I can't let this go with before I share it with somebody. And I have been really working on maybe just sharing a bit of something and then being done, not coming home and unloading everything or unloading to a friend or just unload a little maybe, but begin to let me process it and let it go without getting the world involved. Mm. Yeah, so there's some tension there, I would imagine, of I need to process. Mm -hmm. This is healthy for me. It's important for me to verbally process. And I don't want to get stuck in that I'm verbally processing, perseverating, repeating over and over. Like, it's a balance. Because you're then just perpetuating whatever yucky feeling you're having. Because processing something good, it's going to be good. (laughs) But processing something yucky... By repeating it and repeating it, you're reliving it. And that's so unhealthy. So I have learned, I haven't learned, (laughs) I am in the process of working on that. And it is a huge relief. It's a lot of pressure off. And, you know, something yucky happens, okay, tell somebody a little bit about it if you want to or not. And let it go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That sounds like a really helpful uh, yeah. mindset for you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So are there, I'll give you a chance, are there any other helpful behaviors or mindsets or things that you do that maybe we haven't touched on yet today that you want to talk about? I don't think so. Because I don't really think about this now. I mean, I think about it to some degree, mm-hmm. but we've touched on what I've consciously have been working on. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. And then how about, um, why don't we end our time together with, if there was one thing you wish, whether it be our listeners or your friends or your family, but just one thing that you would want people to know about twos that perhaps they might not know about them. Um, I will steal from another podcast because we've touched on this. Mm-hmm. Um, a woman was saying that she couldn't make it to her daughter's child's birthday party, and they were having a lot of children, and she got ill, and she felt so guilty. 
And she apologized and apologized. And she said, the daughter said, Mom, I don't care that you weren't there for taking care of the kids. I'm sorry that you weren't there. Mm. And that goes back to let number twos know that they're important, that they are, you do need them. It's not just, you don't need us just to fix something. You like us just for who for you, you are. are, yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah. that was, that was, sh- I, it stopped me in my tracks listening to that because I thought, yeah, because usually we go and do something because we're helping. You know, we have our role to play, mm-hmm. and yeah. you're going to go fix something, and then you miss out again on that. Being desired, yes, being right. wanted just for right. who you are. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, Lisa, that is a beautiful stopping spot. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. I yeah. mean, we love that you're here mm-hmm. helping us with this podcast. Well, but I, I, I just find it, this has just been such a wonderful learning tool. Yeah. Too. And, and it just sees how it affects so many parts of, I mean, every aspect of my life so yeah it's yeah it's good that's great well thank thanks you. for being here thank for you. helping us but ultimately Alyssa <laughs> thanks for just being here for for well, being you thank you and being part <laughs> of our work wisdom family just simply for who you are I appreciate it I like yeah. being part of the family it's a gift thank you yeah all right well that's all the time we have for today For more information about the system of the Enneagram and where some of our information came from today, check out work by Suzanne Stabile and the Enneagram Journey podcast, Beatrice Chestnut, Riso and Hudson from the Enneagram Institute, Hunter Mobley, and Helen Palmer of the Narrative Tradition. Thank you listeners for downloading The Behaviorist, and we hope you'll subscribe. Please reach out to us through our website, workwisdomllc.com where you can enjoy Work Wisdom Press and productions, ask questions, and make suggestions of topics you'd like us to explore in future episodes. As is our custom, we'll leave you with some one-minute wisdom from Rainer Maria Roque. For one human being to love another, that is perhaps the most difficult of all our tasks, the ultimate, the last test and proof the work for which all other work is but preparation. Mm-hmm.